The New Testament reading is taken from Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 26. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning... As they went went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. Ah, magic. So, we're going to be talking about a a weird story this week. Jesus curses a fig tree and uh, it doesn't have any fruit on it. And what is this all about? Some people find it really difficult. Uh, Maybe that's because this is the only gospel, the only miracle in the gospels which is destructive in nature. But we're going to have a look at it closely because, funnily enough, it's actually the key for this whole passage. And when Mark was writing down all that he knew about Jesus, one of the clever things that he did was to highlight important things that happened with a sort of sandwich technique. So look with me at the passage and you'll notice how Jesus curses the fig tree in verses 12 to 14. That's the first slice of bread. And then Jesus causes a scene in the temple in verses 15 through 18. That's the meat. And then over the page, uh, Jesus' disciples notice that the fig tree is withered in verses 20 to 21. And that's the final piece of bread. And this sandwich helps us uh, to understand somehow the episode in the temple. So look with me at the first slice of bread. Verses 12 to 14 and the cursing of the tree. Notice that it wasn't yet the season for figs, 
That's the end of verse 13. But that Jesus was hungry in verse 12, and the tree was in leaf at the beginning of verse 13. But to understand all of this, we need to know a little bit about figs. If you look at this photo behind me, the purple fruit hanging down are ripe figs, and they're good to eat. But above them, you'll see some green, unripe figs. And these aren't ready yet. The, the unripe ones, the green ones, they don't taste good at all. But if you're really hungry, you can actually eat them. And also, if a fig tree is in leaf, that usually means that it has fruit on it, even if that fruit isn't ripe. So Jesus, he saw a fig tree in leaf, and he looked at it to see if there were some figs, some green figs, because he was hungry. But there was no fruit, and so he cursed it. And this is the image that I want you to have in your minds. A tree with the appearance of fruit, but there's no fruit to be found. It looks good, it looks like it should have fruit, but there is none when Jesus visits. This is the image we need to have in our minds to understand the temple story. And so, in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah, we heard a beautiful description of what the temple should be. We heard that the Sabbath was special, that justice was practiced, evil was avoided, and those that society looked down upon, the foreigners and the eunuchs, they were included in worship and even given a place if they gave themselves over to trust God. But unfortunately, the temple had changed a bit by Jesus' day. It appeared as though there should be fruit, but when Jesus visits there, there was none. If you have a look at this model of the Jerusalem temple, that big outer courtyard, that was open for the Gentiles to come and pray. But they weren't allowed into that main sanctuary in the middle. Unfortunately, though, in this outer courtyard, the temple authorities were selling animals for the sacrifices and changing money for the special temple coins. That whole place was loud and busy and noisy and completely impossible to use as a place for prayer. Not only that, but the animals were sold at a crazy high price and extortionate fees were charged for the money. So, because everyone was being taken advantage of, Jesus threw the tables over in verses 15. And he did this to illustrate a point. The temple was judged because it had the appearance of godliness, but no fruit. It was a big and beautiful building, and it should have been a center of prayer and love. But just like the tree, Jesus had visited it and judged the emptiness that he found. And now, I don't know about you, but that leads me to think about us. This idea of having the appearance of healthy godliness, or of being a place where fruit should be found, but which lacks genuine substance. I think that this affects a lot of churches, and it can affect a lot of people who perhaps have been Christian for a long time. Perhaps you've been affected at times by this yourself, and maybe that we both know people uh, who are, look like they're bearing fruit, but actually aren't. 
And there's a number of problems that we could talk about. The first, of course, we could talk about blatant hypocrisy, one of the main reasons people give for leaving church. Secondly, of course, there are those traditions which maintain a Christian form of religion, but whose beliefs have more to do with the world than with Jesus. But the third possibility is the one that I really want to spend time on. These are people who aren't hypocrites. They're not two-faced or anything like that. They're orthodox in the important issues, but perhaps perhaps they're a little blasé in their personal faith. Maybe they've been in church a long time, they've been Christians for a while, but they're just kind of resting on their laurels. They're just coasting through. They know all the right words, know all the prayers, and can have a conversation about God. But they don't have what we might call a living, ongoing experience of God, of being dependent upon him. Perhaps they don't pray much at home themselves. Perhaps they don't read the Bible very often. Or perhaps they don't practice deep generosity and love. And they've stopped investing in friendship with fellow Christians. And if they're honest with themselves, they can't really say that they have an active relationship with God. There is an appearance of godliness, but a severe lacking in any substance. Not much personal trust in Jesus, but a lot of inherited religious behavior. And to be honest with you, when I was younger, this was me. I was a tree in leaf without fruit. My mum took me to church. I could say the Lord's Prayer by heart. I knew Bible stories and I knew Christian morals. But I was relying on my identity as a church person. And it didn't give me much life. And it didn't help me to know God. It was only later when, through some good friends, I was forced into actually making a decision to commit to following Jesus myself and receive his forgiveness. It was then that my life was transformed and then, thanks to God's kindness, I was able to throw myself upon him and experience the most radical love. Now, I don't know most people here, but I look around Christchurch and I think to myself, you know, we worship in a really nice building. We benefit from excellent ministry. I look at the notice board downstairs and there's lots of good activity It all looks good. It looks like we're growing. And that's excellent. It really is excellent. The tree is in leaf. But let me challenge you just to reflect. I don't know you. I don't know the difficulties that you've had this week. I don't know the successes. I don't even know all the little lazy moments. But I know that life has a habit of drawing us into a full spiritual apathy. I don't know you. All I can see is that the tree is in leaf. It looks like it should have fruit. But I ask you to pause and reflect with me. Am I resting on my laurels? Are you coasting through this Christian journey? It's easy to do. The temptation is always there, especially in an active, successful church like ours, where we can blend into the crowd. I urge you, renew your relationship with Jesus. Invest this week in your personal relationship with him. Follow him and his pattern 
of life. He will welcome you in whatever state you come to him. And as we come to the end of this sermon, let's turn to our final verses, 22 and 25. To 25. Jesus has cursed the tree and it withered. He judged the temple and it awaits destruction. And now he gives his disciple advice on how this lesson applies to them with a worked example of prayer. It's easy enough to appear to pray. I knew the, the words to the Lord's Prayer and I said it often before I knew the Father to whom I was speaking. And we all know the prayers we say together each Sunday. And to confess again, sometimes I just say the words and that's all I do. It's easy to have the appearance. But Jesus gives us two markers for fruitful prayer. The first is about God. When we pray, we trust that God will hear us. Have faith in God, Jesus says in verse 22, and the mountains will move. Now, listen carefully, because these words can be misconstrued to give unfair expectations. Firstly, back in the day, to move mountains was a sort of hyperbolic expression. It meant just doing something really difficult. Secondly, notice that Jesus says this mountain in verse 23, not just a mountain. And in context, he's probably referring to the temple mount, to the mountain that the temple was built on. Remember that the tree and the temple stories are the same So the faith called for here is trust that when we ask him, God will definitely do what he's promised. He will definitely discipline and renew his people. Now that's an encouragement for us, especially in the Church of England, isn't it? And the second marker is about people. Jesus says in verse 25 that if we hold anything against our brothers and sisters when we pray, we should forgive them. The way we treat each other betrays the sincerity of our relationship with God. The way we treat each other betrays the sincerity of our relationship with God. As John wrote in his first letter, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So if we say prayers but keep grudges, it shows that we only appear godly and actually lack substance. And Jesus adds that when we forgive one another, we put ourselves in the position to receive God's forgiveness. God is, of course, always willing to forgive. But a heart which refuses to allow itself to forgive others is a bitter heart which cannot receive forgiveness itself. Friends, bitterness cuts us off from receiving love. And so our image is of a tree in leaf, a tree with the appearance of fruit. But when Jesus visits, no fruit is found. It looks good, it should have fruit, but there's none. And Jesus shows us how this works in prayer. We can say the words easily enough, we can have the appearance But fruitful prayer is one which trusts God to do what he promises and is generous in forgiving others. So let me encourage you. You look good, 
You look like you should have fruit. But only you know the reality. So check yourself. And if, if you are just coasting through this journey, throw yourself upon the kindness of God. And I promise, he is truly able to help us. Amen.